Listen, brothers and sisters, faithfulness is learned in the hard times. Jesus, he learned faithfulness by what he suffered. That's what the writer of the Hebrews tells us. Jesus was faithful because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was scared and he was sweating drops of blood, but he still showed up. The folks who are believing in Jesus when all this is going on, it's going to be brutal, but what do they do? They keep showing up. And resilience is learned when it's needed. Life is hard. You don't need anybody to tell you that. Just getting through day by day, if everything's going well, can be tough. Then had relationships, jobs, or the lack of job, paying bills, and on and on. And then imagine that you're one of the Christians in the last days that Pastor Daniel will be teaching about today. You're trying to serve Jesus when almost the whole world is against you. Today, you'll be reminded of the strength to endure and where that strength comes from. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, as he continues his message, The Woman Riding the Beast. So it'd be really easy to teach about this woman who's riding this beast and be, it's all about sexual immorality. But really, the picture here is about spiritual morality. We have to ask ourselves, where am I cheating on God with the affections of my heart? That's why all through the Bible, idolatry is a problem, isn't it? That's why in the New Testament, it talks about how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because God realizes that in our hearts and in our souls, we can allow our affections to get a little bit sideways. He wants us to be faithful to him. And really what's going on here is this woman, I mean, you look at it, she's making people drunk with the wine of her fornication. All of the rulers of the earth are committing fornication with her. John says, I'm carried away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw this woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, and she's got in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication, and her name is written on her forehead. Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots. And this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw, I marveled with great amazement, it said. This reminds me of Jeremiah 51, verse 7. It says, Babylon was the golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. So you go all the way back to the time of Jeremiah. Babylon was used by God, but really, it really seduces the world. So you say to yourself, God, what do we do with this? And I think that what God is going to invite us all to is to say, where do I find myself? What pulls me from Jesus? What seduces me away from Jesus? What causes me to lose my passion for Jesus because I'm giving it to other places? Now, 
What I love is as we move on from here, what you're going to find is that everything is explained. Everything's explained. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he will continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, verse 13, and they will give their power and authority to the beasts. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate, and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So really what you have here, everything is explained here. <laughs> Someone's like, yeah, right. I love this because John's amazed, and the angel's like, "Why? Are you, I'm going to explain this to you. But then as you see what goes on, because what we learn is that in verses 8, verses 10 to 14, and then verses 16 and 17, it speaks about the beast, then verse 9, 15, and 18, talk about the woman. And... For the Apostle John, maybe this makes sense, but I'm here to tell you, I can't find two scholars at all who agree on what all this means. And I say that up front, okay? So how many times have I told you in this series, I don't know? I've had a number of people come to me saying, Daniel, you know what I love about what you're doing in the book of Revelation with us is one, you're pointing us to Jesus, and second, you're giving us options. See, what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to be students of the word, And I keep telling you, I'm leaving a lot of stuff on the bone. I'm not explaining everything. And what I've learned is that there's numerous different camps of the way people interpret the book of Revelation. And then within each of those camps, there's like all sorts of ideas. And depending on which camp you're studying in, everything fits together perfectly until you read someone from another camp and then they shoot holes in all the other camps. And then they explain you how everything fits together in their camp and you listen to another camp and they shoot holes in that person's camp. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's the beauty of scholarship. I think to make matters worse is you have to realize that the Apostle John, and that doesn't make the matters worse, it just kind of helps you color the playing field, so to speak, is that the Apostle John is writing this at a time of intense persecution of the church by the Roman Empire. And there is little doubt that the city that sets on seven hills in John's mind would have been Rome. Because at that point, it was known as the city that sits on seven hills. Now, if you've ever, how many of you have ever been to the motherland, to Rome? That's for my people, they're my motherland. Does it sit on seven hills? 
Not really. It's, you know, but we have a tendency to see seven hills. You're like, there should be seven Mount Everests around it. But it's not. It's like, but there are seven hills historically in Rome. You wouldn't think of it that way, but that was the way it was known. And it was the center of the world power. So you realize that it's like, and I've told you that there are some interpretations of the book of Revelation. Everything happens. It was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Other people have that's all coming in the future. Other people say it's all symbolic. And depending on where you land in that whole thing, then you get a whole interpretive grid for this. But really what you find, I think, and so I say everything is explained, and then I'm so happy that someone made a snide comment. I didn't hear exactly what it was, but I agree, which is like, oh yeah, this all makes so much sense, Daniel. Thank you so much. But really what you find is, as we've been looking through this, the beast, in verse 8, that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, you remember from Revelation 13, this is most likely the Antichrist. And if you study your New Testament, the Apostle John tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. And so then people are like, well, who's the Antichrist? And there's that kind of resurrection that the Antichrist goes through. It's a demonic resurrection. And so what's fascinating here is that you realize that the beast is the Antichrist. And we learn a lot of other things, that there are seven kings and five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet to come. And so you have this idea of there's kings and kingdoms. And there's all these different views. I do want to encourage you to read Daniel chapter 7 in your own time. You should also add in there Daniel chapter 2. Daniel has these two visions of these multiple kingdoms. Some people would interpret it as Babylon, then Medo-Persian, then Greek, then Rome. And then what the people, scholars call the revived Roman Empire of the last day. A lot of people feel that the, the European Union could be involved. It sits in the same area. I don't know that it is or isn't. It's just very fascinating to me. And I love all of the conjecture and the arguments that people make about it. But really what you have is you have this beast has all of these kings, and they're giving power and authority to the beast. And in some ways, this woman who is riding the beast is supporting them. And so some people would say that the woman who rides the beast is almost like a spirituality that now undergirds the work of the political power of the Antichrist. Now, I don't want to go too off the deep end with you, but here's what I want to tell you, is that every time a nation has a spirituality of we are God's special people, what it does is it allows that nation not to be self-critical about how it's acting because everything is in support of this is God's will. I mean, listen, if you're going to do something, if God told you to do it, then you can get away with it, so to speak. And don't miss the fact for one second that if you look at the history of Nazi Germany, that's exactly what the Nazis did. They said, we're God's chosen race, and this is what God wants. And so I'm always, as a follower of Jesus, I always get nervous when someone pulls the God card for something that maybe is wrong. Because it shuts the conversation down. And because God wants us to be humble, we just have to be careful of that. That's why I'm always saying, look, I love being an American, and I want God to bless America, but I don't want God to bless America at the expense of all the other nations that God loves. I am proud to be an American because I love getting to be here. And at the same time, being nurtured in this and all this, I love it. But at the same time, I don't want my desire for God to bless America to diminish all the other nations of the earth because God loves every tribe, nation, and tongue. So it becomes this, 
It's not even a balance. It's just holding things biblically and saying, God has a purpose and a plan in all of this. But we have to be careful because it's highly nuanced, isn't it? There's a line where we move over from God's heart to we move into something that now undercuts what God is trying to do. So what you have here is in the future, it would seem, if this is a future fulfillment, which I might probably lean to, is that the Antichrist, there's going to be a spirituality or a system of religious belief that is going to support the Antichrist. So what it reminds you is this. Behind all politics, there is the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, and we have to be discerning spiritually to be able to see through all of the stuff that's going on and make sure that our primary allegiance is to who? Is to Jesus and the gospel. And all through the history of the church, you read any church history text, and you should, you'll find that since the inauguration of the church, how the church functioned within its greater society has the greatest influence on the church. So like when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire in the fourth century, that changed the complexion of Christianity. How Christianity aligns with the prevailing power structures in its day will have an impact either in a good way or a negative way on the gospel, let alone what it does on the power structure. And as believers, our main concern should be that the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, you and I, that however it is that we function in society, our main concern should be, is this an adequate and proper holy representation of Jesus in this world? And you see how challenging it becomes, because now we're talking about politics, but we're not. We're talking about sociology, but we're not. We're talking about geopolitical matters, but we're not. And as believers, our job is to make sure that our primary allegiances to Jesus, and that we make sure that we are threading the needle on these things. Because in the last days, the Antichrist is going to have a whole system of spiritual belief that is going to support what they're trying to accomplish. So it's not just going to be politics. It's truly religion. What I think is really beautiful about this, though, do you notice in the middle of this, this is in verse 14, you have these kings... They haven't received a kingdom yet. They receive authority for one hour. So they serve as kings of the earth. And they're of one mind, verse 13. And they give their power and authority to the beast. So they're lackeys, so to speak, of the Antichrist. And then these will make war with the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and what? Faithful. See, In the grand scheme of things, it is about the bigger battle. Who gets the glory? And Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So nobody deserves the glory that's his, but they're going to try. And Jesus is victorious. And those who are with him who are, and I love these three adjectives, they are called, they are chosen, and they are faithful. And brothers and sisters, what God wants for you and I is to realize that you have been called with a holy calling. None of us deserve to be saved if you are here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. God called you, and when God calls, his calling is effective. I cannot believe still to this day that back in 
1998, Jesus called my name. I can't believe it. I wouldn't have called my name if I was picking teams. Remember when you were in like school before, like everyone got put on a team so that nobody felt bad when they would pick teams? If I was Jesus and I was doing the roll call pick, Fusco was definitely not the guy you wanted on his team. I'd be the last guy chosen, but it was Jesus' turn, so he stuck with me. You know what I mean? I would not have called me, but Jesus did. And when you're called, you realize you've been chosen by God. And I'm here to tell you, if you've been called and you've been chosen, then God wants to make you faithful. My friends, what does faithfulness look like for you? You know, I saw faithfulness two days ago. I went to the hospital. Betty Ritchie, who's the bride of our founding pastor, Bill Ritchie, has been having a tough go of it the last couple of years, and she was in the hospital. And I was talking to Pastor Bill, and we were praying, and we were talking, and he was telling me how they needed to take her off of the ventilator. It was time. And it was tough. Like, some of the doctors were like, yeah, there's really nothing we can do. And, and I'll be honest, like, I do not like hospitals. I had a lot of bad experiences there as a young man with my mom. And so going to hospitals is not my favorite thing to do. I do it. God's really got to kind of, like, put a hook in my mouth and get me there. Because I don't do well there. Just who I am. Sorry. I wish I was good at it. I'm just not. But I knew going to the ICU, I knew they weren't going to let me in anyway. Because, you know, only family. But I'm like, I'm going. So I went over there and found out where she was. I had a little help because one of our sisters from Crossroads serves there. She told me which room she was in. And I still have some ninja skills. So I just kind of like rolled in like I own the place. And they were like, hey, are you family? I'm like, Totally. And they just let me in, you know, because me and Betty look like twins, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, (laughs) and it's so beautiful because I got there and and Pastor Bill wasn't there. And so I was there and it was just Betty and I were hanging out. And at the time she couldn't talk because she was on a ventilator, but she was very lucid and she was writing notes to me when we were talking. And it was beautiful because the nurse came in and she's like, hey, are you family? Yes. Yes, I am. And Betty gave me that little smile because Betty's on to my whole thing. You know what I mean? She she like knows I'm mischievous. And I think it was holy lying. I think God was honored that I was doing it. (laughs) We're a family of faith, man. We say it all the time. Like, we're like, I'm I'm a forever family. And so, sorry, in Jesus' name, pray for me. I'm such a sinner. But sure enough, the nurse came in and the nurse was like, hey, Betty, we're going to take you off the ventilator a little bit. And in that moment, Betty mouthed, wow. And then she shut her eyes and she raised her hands. And in that moment, I knew that she was in God's hands because God was faithful and she was trusting. And it was a powerful moment. We got a chance to pray, and then Pastor Bill came in. First, he thought I was a nurse. He didn't even realize that I was, because like, he wasn't expecting to see me. And he was like, I thought you were a nurse. I'm like, no, no. Just, I'm a nurse in Jesus' name. Just here, I'm, I'm in prayer support. But it was really powerful because, you know, we prayed, and praise God, they took Betty off the ventilator, and she did really well, like miraculously well. And we're praising God. But Betty's been walking with Jesus for a long time. I mean, Betty served in kids' ministry at this church right up until she got sick two and a half years ago, every Sunday, faithfully. I mean, how many of you had Betty as you're in kids' church? A whole bunch of you. Almost everybody who's serving in there right now was like, yeah, Betty was my kids' church teacher. Faithful. Because she's called. Because she knows she was chosen. And she knew that in the step that she was taking, God's going to be faithful and I'm going to trust him. It was funny because after she got the men taken out, I went over to her and more of the Richie family was there. So I wanted to make some space for him and get out of the way. And I said, Betty, I'm so proud of you. And she said, Jesus did that. And I said, yeah. 
and you did that with him. But it was such a model of faithfulness. I share that story because I believe that what God wants to do is he wants to make us those type of faithful people. Like I look over, I see Dave and Nancy, one of the founding families of this church, literally, first Sunday, 48 years of faithfulness. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. And you got to love Dave, never at a loss for words. He points up, like, it's not me. He's like, <laughs> it's not me. It's, but listen, brothers and sisters, faithfulness is learned in the hard times. Jesus, he learned faithfulness by what he suffered. That's what the writer of the Hebrews tells us. Jesus was faithful because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was scared and he was sweating drops of blood, but he still showed up. The folks who are believing in Jesus when all this is going on, it's going to be brutal, but what do they do? They keep showing up. And resilience is learned when it's needed. I'm here to tell you in your relationships, anybody who tells you that marriage is easy, <laughs> there's so many things I want to say. And like, someone's like, no, no, my marriage is, it's in the Lord. Listen, your marriage is in the Lord. Yes. But my pastor used to always say, Daniel, marriage is like two porcupines trying to snuggle. You know what I mean? Like, you love Jesus, but it's not easy. But what do you do when it's hard? How do you forgive when it doesn't work well? When your spouse does something that you don't like, can you forgive? Because none of us does everything that somebody likes. See, faithfulness is learned when we choose to live a different story. And I just want to encourage you, God needs the people of God. And I believe he's empowered us to be the kind of people who we show the world a faithfulness that they'll never know. Because the only place that faithfulness is found is in Jesus. Look at how this chapter ends here. Because you see the unfaithfulness of the world at this time. Because it says, verse 15, it says, And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. They will make her desolate and naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Really what you find is that evil's true colors will always be revealed. Because what you find is that the kings, they love the harlot as long as it suited their purpose. And then right as the harlot finished doing what they needed to do, they devoured it. Because they weren't faithful. Not that they should be. I mean, it's evil. But what you find is that ultimately, when we look at the world as, I do this for what I get out of it. That self-centered look. Ultimately, that will always come to pass. Jesus is At first, this story of the woman and all of the merchants of the world sounds like quite a party and not in a good way. But Pastor Daniel broke this down and showed you how this is more about the spiritual realm than the physical one. You were reminded of the seriousness that God places on being faithful to serve Him alone. And you were given a chance to search your own heart and be honest about your relationship with God. 
Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel begins a new teaching, The Fall of Babylon. He'll be talking about this city that becomes the center of commerce for the whole world. You'll discover what makes this city ripe for the judgment of God and what you can do to avoid the attitudes that got this city in trouble. And you'll be reminded about God's love and concern for the people he's judging. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.